We've been in a sermon series uh, called Chain Reactions. Um, and I've been excited for this. We've been talking about habits, trying to not just take one week to say, set better goals, because goals are okay, but we know that systems are way better than goals. As we said in week two, systems will eat goals for breakfast. So we want good systems in order to uh, uh, get our, to reach our, our potential. And so we've been talking about that for the last few weeks. We kind of hit the whole series off of the Apostle Paul's words uh, to the churches in Galatia when he said, don't become weary in doing good because at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. Because a lot of good habits take a long time to pay off. and Some bad habits take a long time to pay off negatively. So we think it's okay to do bad things because we haven't been burned yet or, it's, or we don't think that good turns out good because it doesn't turn out good right away. But the harvest always comes later. And so we want to learn that anything we do in life that's good will pay off, but you got to keep at it. you got to make it a habit, not just a one-time or three-time event. And anything bad will pay off too, and that's why we have to not count on uh, getting away with things we shouldn't do so far. And so we've been talking about habits, and uh, I recommended a book a moment ago if you were uh, if you're watching this later or uh, listening to this later, you may have missed, we're recommending the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, best book on the subject. And a lot of what we're saying today will actually be some of the big ideas of his book. We will by no means exhaust this book today. I need several weeks to do that. And even then we couldn't do it. We're going to skim a few ideas off of this book and give you one big overarching idea because it's so practical. And I hope that if you're listening to this now or later, that you can maybe get a copy of this book for yourself because it is dynamite. But for today, I want to look at a scripture that we saw a few weeks ago. I want to revisit it together because the Apostle Paul often used sports illustrations to teach truth. And one of those illustrations was racing or boxing or things of that nature. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul wrote this. Don't you realize... That in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. Now, again, he's making a comparison that in most athletic competitions, there are multiple people competing, and only one person gets to be the winner. But Paul says elsewhere, actually in his other letter to the Corinthians, he explains that we are running our own race. We're not racing against somebody else like in a competition we're not supposed to compare ourselves to ourselves or measure ourselves by ourselves. We are running our race, the, the, our potential, God's calling on our lives, and we want to win that race like athletes do when they're running their race. We want to win our prize. So he said, run to win. Verse 25, he said, all athletes are disciplined in their training, right? They do hard things for a long time to get good. They don't do things they want to do that are bad for them for a long time to stay healthy. And they do it to win a prize that will fade away. That's what happens to all prizes. It's called your box of trophies that are sitting in your attic right now, right? They just become old things that you don't care about as much anymore, probably. Um, unless you're Uncle Rico, and then you might have your 89, 89 football trophy or something. But most of us, we just put those things away. But here's the thing. Um, even, even championships, national championships and big prizes on that level... They're exciting, but, but the, the winners are always forgetting it next year and going for the next prize. They always fade away. And that's fine. That's okay. It's good to compete. But we have to understand that most things people compete for are things that fade away and become unimportant in time. 
But Paul said we are doing it for an eternal prize. We are doing something to hear God say well done, to, to finish our race and, and run it well and reach our potential and do our, to hit, hit our mark. That's a better reason than athletes have. That's a better prize to reach for. Verse 26, so I run with purpose in every step. This is a poor, powerful statement about running. Every runner knows, especially long-distance runners, that you have to know how to pace yourself. you got to know how to plan your running. He says, I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not just doing my thing. I'm, I'm intentional in how I do what I do. It's not just a goal. It's a system. I know what's up. Verse 27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And Paul said, I don't want to say the right things and fail to do them because I talked a good game but didn't follow through. That's a good reminder to all of us. Later, I want to show you one more scripture right now. I'll reference a few throughout the message, but we'll show you one more right now. Um, the author of the book of Hebrews is debated who wrote Hebrews. In the New it's the only New Testament book whose authorship is debated. Some people believe it was Paul. Some people believe it was not. It doesn't matter. It was somebody. It was a great, great writing to the Jewish people who had an Old Testament worldview and showing them Christ. And whoever wrote Hebrews, whoever he or she was, I think it could have been a she that wrote Hebrews because she named it Hebrews, which is not just the name of the people, but because it was her way of telling her husband to get her some coffee. Hebrews, that's, not, that's how it works like that. So anyhow, bad joke, sorry, you know how I am. But anyhow, um, the uh, Hebrews gives another illustration about racing. It says in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, therefore, whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, you ought to look back beforehand to see what it's there for. In the previous verses of chapter 11, it talked about people who exhibited great faith in life. People of great faith. And because of their testimonies of faith, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Powerful verse there. Of course, when a person's running, they don't want to carry extra weight, right? You don't run in a trench coat or with ankle weights on it. You might do that for training, but you don't do that for the race. You lay off the things that weigh you down to run freer. You watch out for those things that would trip you up. And you always have to run with some endurance because it takes a while to get to the finish line, to reach the goal. And Paul says we want to be those people in the Christian life, in life, not just in sports, but in all of life. I don't just want to be this kind of person in sports. I want to be this kind of person in marriage. Not just in sports, but in raising a family. Not just in sports, but in being a good neighbor. Not just in sports, but being a, a, a witness. Not just in sports, but being a Christian testimony. Not just in sports, but living the life God called me to live to make the difference and fulfill the purpose he called me to make. This is important for life. It all matters. So we're talking about habits, this series. And let me once again define habit for us. A habit is a behavior that is repeated enough times to become automatic, right? I mean, you do something and you do it again. And if, if you do it once as a behavior, if you keep doing it, eventually you won't even think about it anymore. It'll become automatic. That is a habit. And obviously the ultimate purpose of good habits is to solve the problems of life with as little energy and effort as possible. Once you get a good habit as a habit, you don't have to try so hard. You just automatically do it. And so we want to have 
good habits with as little energy or effort as possible. But the problem is bad habits sometimes happen automatically just the same way. So we want to understand that. So we talked about this in week two, but I want to revisit this structure for the sake of all we're going to say today. That there are four parts to every habit. Every habit has four parts that are a feedback loop to the habit. And the four parts are these. Cue, craving, response, and reward. Every habit has those four things. Cue, craving, response, and reward. It's important to understand what we're going to say today through this lens. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and say it with me out loud. Even if you're at home, join in. Let's say these out loud together. Ready? Cue, craving, response, reward. Let's say it one more time. Ready? Cue, craving, response, and reward. The illustration we gave in week two was about driving past Chick-fil-A on the way home from work. And as you drive past Chick-fil-A and you see the sign there, it sets off a queue. There's the Chick-fil-A sign and there's the building and ooh, I love that food. And so the queue sets off the craving. You start craving those delicious waffle fries drowned and baptized in Chick-fil-A sauce. Amen, hallelujah. And uh, the heavenly chicken, God's chicken there, they for sale. And you get a Coke Zero to make it healthy when you wash it down. And oh, I'm telling you, the craving kicks in. So what do you do? You respond by pulling off the road and getting into their extensively long line, which is a surprisingly very efficient there. And you get yourself some food and your reward is... God's chicken and waffle fries baptized in God's sauce. It's amazing. And you eat. But then you feel bad about it because you're like, man, I keep wasting money and I'm, I'm putting on a few pounds because fast food just is not really that good for you. i got to stop doing that. But the next day, you drive to Chick-fil-A, there's the queue, you crave the food, you stop and get it. You, you see what I'm saying? The feedback loop is cue, craving, response, reward. Every habit, bad or good, every habit has a cue, a craving, and a response, and a reward. So let's say it one more time. Ready? Cue craving, response, reward. If you understand those four things, that's how habits work. And here's why this is important. Because if a behavior, don't miss this, if a, if a behavior is insufficient in any of those four stages, it will not become a habit. If it misses in any one of those stages, it will never become a habit. For example, if you eliminate the cue, the habit never starts. Right? Right? Or if, the, you, if you reduce the craving, you won't experience enough motivation to act on it because the craving's not there. It's, not, it's like, meh. If you make it difficult, the behavior difficult, you won't be able to do it, even if you wanted to. And if you fail to satisfy your desire as a reward, you'll never have reason to do it again in the future. So if any one of these things breaks down at all, a habit won't happen because a habit needs a cue, a craving, a response, and a reward. It's important to understand that. Because of that, there are, there are, uh, we're going to show you four ways to either create good habits or to break bad habits today. Or to say it more simply, four laws of behavior change for good or bad, right? To start the good or stop the bad. Four laws of behavior change. And each of the four laws are based upon one of these things. One is based upon the cue, one's on the craving, one's on the response, one's on the reward, because these are the necessary ingredients. Please understand that so we, this whole sermon makes sense. So what are the four laws of behavior change to create a good habit? Well, let's look at those together. The good habit chart shows us this. We want to make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. 
You want the cue to be obvious to create a good habit. If it's not obvious, you won't do it. You want the, uh, to make the craving attractive, obviously, so you'll do it. You want a response. You want to make it easy to respond, and you want to make it satisfying as a reward. To create a good habit, you've got to understand those four parts of a habit and follow these four laws. Make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. Would you say those four laws with me, please? Make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. So before we look, before we look at the, neg- the bad habits in a moment here, um, they're the inversion, we're going to take a look for a little bit today at how to do these four things. We'll look at each one of these ideas. I'll give you a couple suggestions each. Now, I'll come back to the screen in a moment, but for a moment here, the opposite works as well. If you want to break a bad habit, you've got to do the same thing except for inverse. So you have the same thing, cue, craving, response, and reward. If you want to break a bad habit, you've got to make the cue invisible. You've got to make it invisible. You've got to make it unattractive. You've got to make it difficult. And you've got to make it unsatisfying. That's how you break a bad habit. You make it difficult, uh, invisible, unattractive, difficult, and unsatisfying. By the way, I should have said this earlier, but you might, not, might want to take, write these down or take screenshots of these. This is a lot of material. But this is how to break a bad habit right here. And then the flip side of that coin Again, how to create a good habit is you make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. That's how you deal with the cue, craving, response, and reward. So let's say those uh, four laws one more time for good habits. Ready? Make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. That's how we do this process. Now, If you want to change your behavior, ask yourself those questions. How? How can I make it obvious? How can I make it attractive? How can I make it easy? How can I make it satisfying? Or on the negative side, ask the same questions about breaking bad habits. Let's go through this, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the next little while and hopefully get out within an hour and a half from now. That was a joke. I would never do that to you. Obviously, be less than an hour and 15 minutes, easily. Also a joke. Okay. But anyhow, I'm going to cram a lot of information your way for a little bit here. And they're all going to fall under these headings. Some ways to make it obvious, attractive, easy, and, and including a way to, do the, to stop the negative habits also. Now, there's no way with what I'm about to dump on us all, there's no way that we're going to be, you're going to be able to retain all this information. If you're not already drowning, you're going to be drowning in the ocean in a minute here. So what I want you to do today is simply maybe take some notes, Get the book, right? Um, But here's what you can do today. Pick one thing or two. Pick one thing or two from what we're going to say today that will help you immediately. You can come back and watch. You can listen to this sermon again later on Facebook or on our website. You can come back and revisit it later to get more information. But for today, get one or two good ideas to help you set the stage. So how do we do this? Well, first of all, we wanna, if we want to have a good habit, create a good habit, we have to what? We have to make it obvious. How do we make it obvious? Well, when it comes to cues in your behavior, uh, there are very, a lot of good cues, but there are the two most common cues for behavior are time and location. Time and location, most common cues. Therefore, one of the best ways to make it obvious is to build what we call an implementation intention. Use an implementation intention. And the formula for that looks like this. I will do this behavior at this certain time in this certain place. It's an implementation intention. And you state it and you say, I will do that behavior at this time. Those are the cues. This time in this location. Now, 
That might seem simplistic to you, but don't dismiss it. That's how all of you started dating and got married if you're married. You know, you, sir, you asked a girl out. You didn't just say, hey, you want to go out sometime? And she's like, oh, sure. And then you're like, okay, let's do it. And then you didn't, like, never followed up. You, you, you had a date that led to more because you said, let's have a date at Tuesday at 6 o'clock at IHOP. In which case, she dumped you because you wanted to take her to IHOP. So you were, it was over. But anyhow, seriously, though, um, you picked, uh, you said, let's do this behavior at this time in this place, right? That's how everything we do works. You got to church this morning because at some point in your past, you said, I will go to church on Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. at Lighthouse Church. This, this is how we do everything. And so intentionally, do this intentional. Use implementation intentions to try to create a good habit by saying, I will start doing this thing at this time, this location, make the cues obvious. Now, if that's, you say, oh, well, that's nice, Arlen. Cute story, bro, but here's the problem. I say, I will go to the gym and work out tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. or 9 a.m. or when I wake up at 11 a.m. or whatever. I will go to the gym tomorrow morning, but then in the morning, I don't feel like it. And, and, and one of the things you can do to help yourself make it obvious is to put it in a spot where you're doing other things as well. And so one trick is to um, use habit stacking. Use habit stacking. Habit stacking is where you take a current habit and you in, uh, and place your new habit in conjunction with it. So the formula looks like this. After I do current habit, I will do new habit. Now again, before you dismiss that as simple, that's how all of us do our things. In fact, this, I mentioned a few weeks ago that I started making the bed in our family um, just a, few, a couple of few years back. Before that, Michelle always did it in our work schedules, and as things have shifted and we both work, I've decided that I, this should be, why, why, why does she do this job? That should be mine. So I own it all. This is my job. I don't miss. But I didn't used to. So how did I make a habit, something that I was never doing, a habit? Well, at first I had to just make myself. But I did this exact thing. I used habit stacking. For example, in the morning when I get up, I... Sh- Hopefully, like you, <laughs> I shower and, you know, get ready for the day. Hopefully, you don't just roll out of bed and go scare the world. So I get up in the morning, and I sh- my habit is to shower, and then I put my contact lenses in after I shower, and then I comb my hair, right, and then I brush my teeth, and I use deodorant, because thank God for that. And so these are habits in my morning, and I always have a certain routine of how I get ready, my certain routine habits to get ready. And my last habit of getting ready, usually there's a little lag, something about the way I'm wired, that I get ready in every way except for one. It's just the last touch of being ready to leave. And I usually use that gap time to, you know, check my phone or do something silly. So what happened was um, I realized that's a good spot to create a new habit. So I inserted the idea of making the bed when I took that job over in my morning routine of getting ready, in my current habit. So now after I brush my teeth and put on deodorant, I make the bed. It's just it's where I, I, after I do this, I now will do this. Now, to, I'll to tell you the truth. This morning, I made the bed like I do every morning. I don't usually remember specifically making the bed every particular day, but I did because it's a habit. Because I just put it in a spot, I stacked it with other habits I already had, and I, until it became just automatic, just automatic. But after a while, I had to use the system to help it become automatic when it wasn't. So use uh, habit stacking to make this happen. And then we mentioned this last week, but I want to repeat it right now. Design your environment. Uh, we want you to um, design your environment to make the cues of good habits to be obvious and visible. 
Like, for example, if you want to eat more apples, stop putting them in the bottom drawer of your refrigerator where you never see them until they rot. Put them in a basket on your table where you'll grab one when you walk past, right? Um, If you want to write more thank you notes, don't put them in in a drawer that you forget to open. Put it on the middle of your desk in front of your chair, right? Do put... Use your environment to make the cues of your good habits obvious so you can't miss them. Make them very visible. You, got, you can create your own environment. And if you'll do that, you'll help make the right things obvious and you will have an easier time creating good habits. Now, flip side of cues, cues to create good habits or make them obvious. How do we stop bad habits when it comes to cues? We want to make it invisible. We want to make the cues of bad habits to become invisible. Now, that's hard to do. But how do you do it? Well, one thing you could do is you could reduce your exposure to those bad cues. Remove the cues of your bad habits from your environment. Don't put the chocolate cake on the counter or in your house, right? If you're trying, if you're trying to stop, nothing wrong with chocolate cake. But if, you're trying to, if that's the habit you're trying to get away from, stop, tor- tor- stop making it obvious. Stop making the bad stuff easy to see. Stop driving past Chick-fil-A on the way home. Go a different way. Whatever it may be. You gotta make the you gotta remove the cues of your bad habits from your environment. You have to find a way to reduce your exposure. Otherwise, you're gonna keep doing the same thing over and over again if you don't. You know, you say, yeah, but I just need more self-control. I know people who have a lot of self-control. I'm gonna say something that will bother somebody probably, but let me just say it anyhow. Self-control is highly overrated. Willpower is highly overrated. I'm not saying that they are not important. We all have to have self-control, and some of us ought to find ways to build that muscle. We ought to have willpower. But the truth is, is willpower and self-control all have their limits. It's like going to the gym and working out with weights. At first, you're like, oh, man, I can lift this. But after a while, you get muscle fatigue. That's how willpower works. You get muscle fatigue. And and, and you think, well, I just got to just have more willpower. No, you need to reduce exposure. Do you know that people with high self-control, they tend to spend less time in tempting situations? That's what they do. They just don't get around it so much. In fact, here's a great statement for you to remember about this. It is easier to avoid temptation than resist it. That is such a good statement. I want to say it out loud with you. Can you say it with me? It's easier to avoid temptation than resist it. I don't think we got that in our bones yet. Let's say it one more time. Ready? It's easier to avoid temptation than resist it. This is so true about life. It's so much easier to not have to to, to, to not eat those donuts when they're not around me. But you put them in front of me and I have a hard time, right? By the way, you know who taught this? Jesus, 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, on the night that he was arrested and would be crucified, one of the last things that Jesus ever said to his disciples, he knew they would face temptation and that some of them would fail like Peter was going to. And so to try to warn them to be ready for the temptation that was coming, Jesus said this in Matthew 26, 41. He said, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. And that word give in right there, the Greek word means will not enter into. You will not even enter into temptation. He said, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. We know that to be true. That's like, some of us, that's our life sentence right there. The spirit's willing, but the body is weak. I do want to eat healthy, but oh my goodness, I'd love to eat bad. I do want to exercise, but oh, I hate that kind of work. I do want to uh, uh, write a book, but oh, it's just so much. I have good intentions. I want to overcome that addiction. In fact, I know a lot of people, a lot of men, you're struggling with pornography. You're struggling with pornography because it's so easy. It's at your 
phone and your fingertips and, and you struggle with it and you hate it. You don't want, that's not who you want to be. Your spirit's willing to be better. You want to do different. But, but because the temptation, you find yourself weak and you hate yourself and, you, and you, you're going to do better. More willpower works for a day or two or a week or two or a month or two. And then you fall again. This is what happens to us in all temptations. And so the secret is it easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist it. So pray that you won't give in or that you won't enter into temptation. And Jesus gave some practical advice. He said two things. Keep watch and pray. Keep watch and pray. Two great pieces of advice to deal with avoiding temptation. The first one is keep watch because praying alone is not enough. So according to Jesus, don't get mad at me for saying that. Praying alone is not enough. He says keep watch and pray. Because Otherwise, it's like going to the store and buying the donuts and bringing them home and putting them on the table, opening the box, smelling them for a minute and saying, God, please help me not to eat these donuts. Please help me not to eat these donuts. And then when you eat about six of them, say, well, I thought you answered prayer. I guess I was wrong. Right? It's not God's fault. You prayed, but you didn't keep watch, right? <laughs> and so you got to keep watch. you gotta, you got to do your part to keep the temptations away from you so that you can avoid them instead of resist them. But then, not only keep watch to keep the temptations away, you pray. You say, God, because sometimes I can't avoid temptation, will you please help me when I encounter it to have enough willpower to say no at that time, to have self-control, but, but I don't want to encounter too much because I'll wear it down, so help me to have the strength, and God will give you the strength so that you're able to bear it. He will. But also say, God, help me to avoid it. Keep me from even crossing the path of the things that tempt me. Keep watch and pray so that we don't enter into temptation. It's easier to avoid than resist. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, this is a big, 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 big idea. You say, well, I just need more self-control. Here's the thing. Self-control is a short-term strategy. It's not a long-term strategy better than self-control. Make it obvious to do the good cues for good habits. Make the bad habits, make the cues invisible. Solves a lot of problems. The second thing about, about the habit loop is cue then craving. So how do we deal with craving? Well, to create a good habit, we've got to make it attractive. We've got to make it attractive. So how do we do that? Well, you have to understand that habits, what the habits ultimately are, they're a dopamine-driven feedback loop. If you understand the human brain, which is very complex and amazing, they're a dopamine-driven feedback loop. And what happens is, and they've tested this in lab rats where they can cut off the part of their brain that feeds it with dopamine, and the rats will literally starve and die despite temptation because they have no will to do anything. Because dopamine drives us to keep doing things that we need to do. And habits are dopamine-driven feedback loops. And here's what we've learned about people. Yes, doing the pleasure of the reward is a dopamine hit a little bit, but the real dopamine hit isn't the reward. It is the craving. It is the anticipation. Check it out. It is the anticipation of a reward, not the fulfillment of the reward that gets us to take action. So many people in life, the reward of something is like, that was fun, but, but, but getting ready for it was even more exciting. That's where the dopamine hits you at. It's a bit, maybe a poor analogy, but it's kind of like when you plan to go on vacation for months and then you go on vacation and sometimes the planning of it was almost more exciting in your soul for four months than the actual vacation. By the time the vacation got there and the kids were yelling at each other and, and traffic was bad and also it's half over and you go back, back to work in a few days and you're bummed about that. The best part was the four months of planning to go, right? And that's maybe a poor example, but truthfully in life, many of our habits is anticipating the reward that's coming 
that's the dopamine hit. The craving that's better than the actual reward. So if you want to make good habits attractive, how do you do that? That's hard. It's hard to make working out, running a mile, it never looks very attractive before you do it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Eating kale never looks attractive even after you do it. Okay, uh, whatever the good habits are, they don't seem attractive. So how do you do this? Well, one of the great secrets is to do something we call using temptation bundling. Use temptation bundling. And I'm talking about good temptations now. But like the group that's saying, no, use temptation bundling. Pair an action you want to do with an action you need to do. It's, it's, it's taking something you want to do and saying, um, I, I want to do this, but I need to do that, but I don't want to. And here's the problem. The things that you need to do probably aren't very tempting. They don't make the dopamine spike until they become habits. Once they're habits, then you say, I am excited to do that. But for a while, you need to, but you don't want to. So you pair what you need to do with what you want to do to make it enticing and attractive. Now, word of caution. These can't counteract each other. Like if your goal is to work out for half an hour so you can lose a few pounds, don't reward yourself with a bowl of ice cream because you want to eat it. That kind of cancels out the good there, obviously. But you want to find something you want to do to make it fun to do the thing you need to do, and it's called temptation bundling. Here's a little life hack for you. I know it's a lot, but you can combine what we said earlier about habit stacking. You can take habit stacking and temptation bundling and put them together to do this very thing I'm talking about. How does that look? Well, here's the formula for that. After I do my current habit, you have a current habit you're already doing. This is, this is habit stacking. After I do my current habit, brush my teeth, right, I will do Habit I need, make the bed, habit stacking. And then number two, after I do the habit I need to start doing, I will do the habit I want to do. I will, I will do something I want to do. This is temptation bundling mixed with habit stacking, and this works really well. So let me give some examples of this point because it's so important. If you, have a, if you have a habit of making coffee first thing in the morning, and then what you'd like to do is watch or read the news for a little bit, but you feel like you need to take more time in the morning to be grateful, and express gratitude for things that are, you're grateful for in life. You could say, after I make my coffee, that's your current habit, after I make my coffee, I will take a moment to think of one or two things I'm grateful for and give thanks. And after I express gratitude, I will now look at the news. You're sticking your habits and bundling your temptations to create a system to help you begin to do the thing you want to do better. Or... You go to work, and after work, you want to come back from lunch. After lunch break, you want to come back from lunch and check Sports Center on ESPN. But you know that you need to make more phone calls and more clients, but you don't like to because it's just so you put it off. So what you do is say, after I eat lunch, current habit, I will make three calls, which I need to do. After I make three calls, I will let myself check ESPN. See what I'm saying? You're, you're, you're stacking your habits and you're bundling your temptations. So it's a time to do it, a place, a cue, and an attractiveness to your habits that you're trying to create. Now again, if you're trying to get rid of the wrong habits when it comes to craving, you have to make it unattractive. You have to make it unattractive. So how do you do that? One simple idea, and it's not thorough, but I only have so much time today, so bear with me. But one thing you can do to make it unattractive is you reframe your mindset. You have to highlight the benefits of avoiding your bad habits. It's all we can do. That, it's interesting, I, don't, I won't tell you a lot of stories from James Clear, he's got so many good ones, but one story he tells is that he was, spent a few days in Istanbul, traveling uh, in, in a world travel, and his tour he had of Istanbul was a man who took him 
out afterwards. They, he went with that guy's friends and hung out for a few hours. He was sitting on like a rooftop in the city talking. And he found out while sitting there that every guy in that group was at one time a, a smoker, like a pack-a-day of cigarette smoker. Like they were all part of the pack-a-day pack of cigs club. And, um, but all of these guys had completely stopped smoking completely. And uh, James never smoked, but he said, how did you guys all go from pack-a-day smoking to not at all? And every single one of them said it was a book that they read. They read a certain book and it just kind of gave them the chance. So he was curious. He didn't smoke, but he was curious what was so good about this book. So he read the book. And, and he said it was interesting because it was just a bunch of, of suggestions and thoughts and statements. Things like, you think that you are quitting smoking, but you're not quitting anything because cigarettes do nothing for you. Or you think something is, uh, smoking is something that you need to be social, but it's not. You can be social without smoking at all. Or you think smoking is about relieving stress, but it's not. Smoking does not relieve your nerves. It destroys them. And as he read the book, he realized the book kept saying over and over again, you're losing nothing by stopping this. But you are making marvelous positive gains, not only in your health and energy and money, but also your confidence, your self-respect, your freedom, and most importantly, your quality and length of life. And he said that when he read the book, he realized the secret for those men to have victory over that habit was this. By the time you got to the end of the book, smoking seemed like the most ridiculous thing in the world to do. It made it so unattractive that you thought, why would anyone do that? Which is why, last week we said, it's important to have good inputs in your life, things that speak to your good habits and not your bad habits, good environments. Because if you have an environment that, that, that helps you reframe your mindset, and makes those things not seem attractive, you could break bad habits. Paul the Apostle once said, we have to make sin to become exceedingly sinful to us, right? We want to make something that's bad look really bad so it's unattractive to us. That's how you do it. Four parts of a habit. Cue, craving, response, reward. Number three is response. What do we want to do to uh, help us create good habits? Number three, we want to make it easy. Make it easy. Now, I'm going to give you some suggestions about this. Before I do, let me just say one thing about making it easy, okay? At some point, you just got to start doing it. People, and I understand, doing the right thing is like hard when you've never done it before. You don't think you're good at it. You think you'll do a poor job. Sometimes even thinking about it is overwhelming. It's like this sermon. If, you're, if this is new topics to you, it could be like a drowning ocean. And sometimes we don't want to wade in, but like our children who learn the, our language by just being around it, you just got to start getting around your good habits. You got to start doing things when you're not good at them, and eventually they'll make sense to you. Eventually you'll become good at them. But listen, the key is practice. Practice is the key, not planning. Practice is more important than planning. Now, I'm, I'm talking to somebody here because this is important, because some of us, we confuse the idea of being in motion as being taking action. Taking action and being in motion are two different things. So you're not, you're not, you're not taking action when you're planning. You're just in motion. For example, I'm going to start eating healthy. Well, when I, first I'm going like to study all the different diet plans. I'm going to download two apps, and I'm going to look at some recipes, and there we go. I'm already started. No, you're just planning. You're not actually doing anything until you eat the first healthy meal. Or I'm going to start going to the gym. I need to exercise more. So then you, for the next four weeks, you study all the gyms, get all the prices, talk to the owners, buy yourself a new set of pants to work out in, buy yourself a new shirt and some awesome shoes to run in. And, and you're like, I've, all this stuff is planned. That's not anything yet. That's being in motion, but it's not action. Practice is more important than planning. If you're writing a book, 
I'm preaching to the choir here, okay? And all you do, shame on me, is you write down a bunch of thoughts and chapter titles and outlines, but you don't actually write a chapter. You've done nothing yet, right? So at some point, you've got to start doing it, even when you're bad at it, till it becomes easy to do. So start taking action. Now, how do we make it easy to do the good things? One thing, but before I say that, let me say this. The amount of time you've been performing a habit is not as important as the number of times you've performed it. Remember the 10,000-hour rule that Malcolm Gladwell wrote about? You, you, doing something a number of times is more important than how long you've been doing it. Here's an example. You can say, I've been working out for 20 years. Really? How much? Oh, about once every three or four weeks I work out for 20 years now. Is not as empower, important as to say, I've only been working out for six months, but I go three to five times a week. See what I'm saying? The number of times you do it's more important than how long you've been doing it. So just start. And when you want to make it easy to do something good, first thing to do is reduce friction. Friction is the things, and you know what friction is, it's the stuff that makes doing something good harder to do. So you got to reduce the friction. And so what I'm saying is this, you want to decrease the number of steps between you and your good habits. For example, again, if you want to eat more apples, don't have to go find the fridge. Remember they're there, open the door, open the drawer, pull them out, open the bag, and eat one. Open the bag, put it on a basket on your table, and you made it easier to eat your apples. If you want to play guitar and learn to play the guitar better, don't put it in a case, zip it up in the back of your closet somewhere. You've got to go dig it out to play. You put it on the stand in the middle of the floor so you have to trip over it all the time, and you can just grab it and play. If you want to write more thank you notes, you don't hide the stationery, you put it on a desktop. Decrease the number of steps between you and your good habits. It's where you say, I'm going to go to the gym so tomorrow I won't feel like it. So before I go to bed tonight, I'm going to put my workout clothes in a bag in the car already. <coughs> or on the way home from work, I'm going to have my stuff with me, ready. So I made it easier to go do what I need to do. I know people who did this with church. Uh, I knew a family years ago who the ra- they, get, they had trouble getting to church because every Sunday they wanted to go to church. But every Sunday was family catastrophe. They'd have a fight with a couple would have a fight or the kids would be difficult to get up and someone would be yelling at one of the kids and they'd be like, this is not even spiritual. I don't even want to go to church. And they'd just get upset and stressed and getting food ready and clothes ready is half the battle. So what they started to do was they, every Saturday night before they went to bed, they put all their clothes out for Sunday morning. And they put all the table, set the table for, all the, for breakfast. And they had a simple breakfast. And they basically took all the stress out of the morning so that it decreased the number of steps to get them out the door to go to this good place. So reduce your friction. If you want to do something good, make it easy, make it as easy as possible to do this good thing in your life. When friction is low, habits are easy. And when friction is high, habits are difficult. Another piece of advice is this. Use the two-minute rule. What is the two-minute rule? The two-minute rule says that you can downscale your habits until they can be done in less than two minutes or two minutes or less. Now you're thinking, what kind of good habit can be done in two minutes or less? Not very many. The idea is not to take your good habit and only do it for two minutes. It's to start here and build later. For example, a person who goes to the gym, and they keep trying to go to the gym, but they keep quitting, and they say, I'm going to go to the gym and spend five minutes or less before I walk out the door. Well, what can you do to get in shape in five minutes? Not much. But here's what happens. Here's what happens to people. They go to the gym in January with a New Year's resolution, and they walk in there and they say, I need to make up for lost time. So an hour and a half later, they fit every single machine and they leave that day. And if they ever come back a second or third time, they'll be done within a few days. They'll be dead and in recovery for a long time. Why? Because it was too much. 
So what you, it's not a habit. It's a behavior for two, once or twice. But a habit is when you do it every single day. So here's what you do. You walk into the gym and say, I'm here. And I'm gonna, I have time to do two things before five minutes are up and I'm out the door. So, well, that's not going to help you. I know, but you keep doing that until it's a habit. And then eventually you'll start saying, you know what? I'll do one more set of this. I'll add that. It's the same with, you know, being grateful. I, 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 I don't have 20 minutes, but I can take two minutes to be grateful. I can take two minutes to write my book. I can't write a book two minutes a day, but I can't write one chapter every three months either. So I'm going to write for two minutes and stop until tomorrow. I do. It's a habit every single day. See, optimal is a lot more time. But you have to standardize before you optimize. Until you standardize your habit, you'll never optimize it. And that's the secret sauce. In other words, you cannot improve a habit that does not yet exist. Which brings us to our last idea about making it easy before we move on. And that is to automate your habits. Automate your habits. What does that look like? It's where you decide that as much as you can use technology to make your habits happen automatically without thinking about them, it works. I mentioned going to church last week. Uh, let, me, let me use another spiritual one right now. We, we all believe in you ought to be givers. My family practices percentage giving. All Michelle and I have done it since we've been married. We, we give percentage giving. I believe everyone ought to give percentage giving or give, give regularly. A lot of folks want to be givers, but they always forget. I forgot the checkbook. I forgot to go online and go to the site and make a payment to something. When it comes to giving, you can automate, most like our church, for example, you can give digitally, but you can automate recurring gifts if it's the same amount every time, just plug it in and never think about it. That could be true for a number of habits in this life. You can automate your habits. And someone who does that doesn't even think about them. We've been sponsoring kids through World Vision for 10 years. We don't even think about it. It's automated. It's automated. It's automated because we don't have to write the check. So when you can automate good things you want to do, you'll do better than the person who meant to do well, but forgot or got busy and didn't get it done. So as much as possible, automate your habits to make it easy. Now, the flip side of that coin when it comes to response is you want to make a bad habit difficult. Make it difficult. How do you do that? It's the opposite. You simply increase friction. You increase the number of steps between you and your bad habits. So it's, instead of putting the apples on the bowl on the table... Instead of the fridge, you take the brownies and you leave them at the store. Right? You leave them at the store, right? Because here's what happens to you. Here's what happens. If you're sitting on your couch at night and one of your goals is, is you want to eat less chocolate, nothing wrong with eating chocolate per, per se, but if you have a problem with eating too much chocolate or you just need to cut back or stop, and you get on the couch and you're like, oh man, I want to eat chocolate, and all you got to do is get up and walk to the countertop and grab some. You're going to be like me and eat a lot more chocolate than you meant to. But if you've got to get off the couch, find your shoes, put on your coat, get your keys, start the car, scrape off the windshield, drive to the store, walk in his tracks, put on your mask, buy the, you, know, you see what I'm saying? You increase the friction to make it harder to get to the thing that you're trying to stop doing. It's back to avoiding temptation instead of resisting it. Make it difficult. Increase the number of steps between you and your bad habits. When friction is low, habits are easy. When friction is high, habits are difficult. Increase the friction or decrease it for good habits. Last big point, cue, craving, response, reward. Number four, reward. How do we make good habits rewarding? You make it satisfying. Now, don't miss what I'm saying here. Trek with me. The first three laws of behavior change. Make it obvious, make it attractive, and make it easy. All of those three laws increase the odds that a behavior will be performed this time. 
But this fourth law of behavior change, make it satisfying. This increases the odds that a behavior will be repeated next time. This might be the linchpin to making habits work. you got to make it satisfying. How do you do that? Well, you use reinforcement. In other words, you give yourself an immediate reward when you complete your habit. Here's why this is important. When it comes to good habits, they're not usually very satisfying immediately. It's satisfying to lose that 25 pounds. But it takes a long time to get there, and it's not very satisfying when you win in the next day and you didn't lose any weight again. Because you are making progress, but it doesn't happen like you want it to. Remember the valley of disappointment as you try to get better? And so, you know, you want to write, you want to do good things, but there's no positive reward. You want to be a better at relationships, but you've made a bad relationship so bad that when you try to do something good, it doesn't change things real big. It takes a long time to fix that relationship, Right? So you got to find a way to give yourself an immediate reward because good habits are often rewarded someday. Paul said, don't become weary in doing good. In someday, you'll reap your harvest if you don't give up. But how do you not give up when you're disappointed in the outcome? You've got to make it satisfying now. And you've got to find a way to reward yourself. Again, you can't give yourself a reward that counteracts the habit you're trying to create. But reward yourself in some way. And also, when trying to stop a bad habit, reward yourself for doing nothing. Instead of doing your bad habit, I do nothing. Reward myself for doing nothing about a bad habit or to do a good habit. You have to do it. Here's why. This is not on the screen, but don't miss it. The cardinal rule of behavior change goes like this. What is immediately rewarded is repeated. And what is immediately punished is avoided. What is immediately rewarded is repeated. What is immediately punished is avoided. And that's why bad habits are easy to do because they're not, bad habits are not often punished immediately. It takes a long time to pay the price. So punish the bad habits immediately yourself. Uh, how do you make good habits? You have to reward them. They're not rewarded immediately. That takes a long time. So reward them yourself. What is immediately rewarded is repeated. What is immediately punished is avoided. One of the most satisfying feelings in the world satisfying feelings is making progress. So here's a little life hack for you. You use a habit tracker. Use a habit tracker. Like getting a calendar and putting an X on it. I know it's a long time till you reach your goal, but I can say Monday I did that good habit. Tuesday I did that good habit. Wednesday, and then just looking at the calendar is like, ah, look at all those X's. I've done really well. Use a habit tracker to give yourself a temporary reward. And here's the secret to that. Don't break the chain. It's one thing I like about the YouVersion Bible app that we use. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, you should, by the way. It's great. Tons of reading plans and daily devotionals. But you can get on there. Whenever you log on and do a reading for a day, it says, hey, you're on a streak. You have 11 days in a row. You have an 11-day streak of reading your Bible. And I like Snapchat with streaks. You want to keep your streaks going, don't you? So you're like, oh, man. So, so you get on there and you go on the next day and keep your streak alive. Don't break the chain. But here's what some of us are thinking. Well, Arlen, that sounds great, but what happens when I fail and I do break the chain? Because guess what? We will all get busy. We will all get tired. We'll all have bad days. We'll at some point break the chain. So then what do you do? Here's what you do next. You never miss twice. You get back on track immediately. If you got that calendar and also you have a blank day where you couldn't put an X through that, your new goal is to say, I might miss once, but I'll never miss twice. My new streak is to never miss twice. And so a brand new streak. That's my goal. The Bible says a just man falls seven times, but he rises up again. I don't stay down. I don't spiral out of control because I missed one time. I pop back up and never miss twice. I do it again. 
That's how you make it satisfying. One suggestion about how to make it unsatisfying. How do you make bad habits unsatisfying? One simple idea is get an accountability partner. There are other ideas, but I'm out of time, so I'm giving you one. Get an accountability partner. Why? Because telling someone what you're struggling with is very unsatisfying. I mentioned pornography earlier is a struggle that some men and women have. And, and if, you're, if you are, you're not uncommon, but you probably need to tell somebody. Because what you're doing now is you're saying, I need to do better. And you're trying, but then your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. Find somebody. So I can't tell my spouse. They would be so upset. Maybe you should tell your spouse. Maybe you feel that you shouldn't go there first because it would blow up. At, I don't know. Find somebody. Find somebody. Find a friend. Find, some, find someone you respect and look up to a friend that you value. Don't find another guy, a, a porn buddy, who's going to tell you, you know, compare notes with you. That's not what you want to find. You want to find somebody who's going to say, um, okay. By the way, a good friend or a person you respect who's a good person in your life, they're going to say, oh, man, I'm sorry you're struggling with that. How can I help you? They're not going to look down on you or judge you or kick you while you're down. If they do, then get them out of your life. That's horrible. What they're probably going to do is say, okay, well, I'm glad you're trying. Let me help you. But it's still unsatisfying to tell somebody. So get an accountability partner and say, here's my struggle. I'm trying to, to reach this goal. I'm trying to you know, keep within this number of calories per day or I'm trying to exercise. I'm trying to write something or I'm trying to do better. Whatever, get an accountability partner that you've got to report back to. Something that you can trust with access to your life. Access to your passwords if you trust them that way. Access to your life and say, help me be accountable. Because that helps your bad behavior be unsatisfying when you've got to report back. But I'm simply saying, what are the four parts of a habit? There's cue, craving, response, reward. How do we create good habits? You make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. Bad habits, make it invisible, make it unattractive, make it difficult, and make it unsatisfying. You and I can turn the corner. Now, I told you earlier, there's a lot of information today. I'm sorry. We'll be out a couple minutes late probably before we're done here. I don't know. Here's the thing. Take one or two things we said today and implement them in your life to fight the feedback loop of habits. Maybe go back and listen to this again later. Read more about this later. But start. Don't, start, don't mistake planning with action. Just start somewhere and see the corner turned. And by God's grace, your best year could be ahead. Your best decade could be ahead. One step at a time.